Hey, Oasis family. It's my goal that we could set an example on things that I haven't seen done well very recently, and that is actually sitting together and talking about subjects. And so I have some awesome friends up here uh, that I've asked to share and be a part of this conversation. One of those awesome friends is none other. This is going to be a great camera pan. Clayton Reisner, everybody. A great pastor and leader in our church, uh, and he is amazing. Uh, has a wonderful son who's one of my best friends in the world, um, even though he's uh, just a baby. So this is great. I have babies as my best friends, and this is awesome. And then, of course, we have Sherry Fogel, the legend. Like, it just, she's just a legend. It's unbelievable what God is doing with her. Her husband is my personal marriage oh my God. and uh, anniversary and date night mentor, and so... Whenever it comes to date night or birthdays for my wife, I just do whatever Jerome does for Sherry. And That's true. I've actually bought, <laughs> I've actually bought, I've actually just asked Jerome what he got you for your anniversary and just went and got the same thing. I love like, it. I like, love it. it. Just, like, hey, it was a win though. It was a Christina win. Christina was happy. It was a win. So thank God for that. And then I'm Julian, in case you uh, uh, never even been to the church ever before. We're here to talk about great things. Oh. And then I have my friend Storm Newton, who him and his wife run Outcast Academy, uh, an incredible ministry with uh, with young people uh, using their arts and skills and not just that, but, but helping mentor them and shape their futures and love him and his wife so much. Profound prophetic voice, I believe, to the church and uh, so excited to get a chance to hear from him. And then Deshaun Edwards, Deshaun. who was on vacation. <laughs> And I said, I need you to be a part of a panel. And she did. And my favorite verse, whenever I call Deshaun and ask her to do something when she's on a day off, is if an ox falls into a ditch, don't you help the ox even on the Sabbath? Wow. And so when I asked her to be a part of this today, her first question was, well, who's the ox? And I said, <laughs> the ox is me today. I need some help. So thank you guys all for being here. I know this isn't an easy subject to talk about, and uh, I hope you got a chance to watch last week, but if you didn't, we talked about God's perspective on life, Roe versus Wade, and all these different things, and I feel like our church was humble enough to 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 be open to having those conversations, and, and I was uh, not afraid enough to have them, uh, but, but I believe it needed a part two that was more of a discussion format. And so my first question for everybody, I mean, I thought I did great last week, to be honest. Like, it was just... The Lord, yes, Pastor, you totally the Lord did. said, just Julian, there's perfection and then there's you. And like, I don't know what, uh, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but really, one of the questions I wanted you guys to answer was, was there anything that you felt enlightened you from the sermon? And was there anything that you felt like I failed to mention or wasn't strong enough when it came to what the word says about um, life or different things. We'll start with you, you Clayton. Um, yeah, God told me the same thing. There's perfection in Julian. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think the 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 revelation I walked away from was the the scripture about David and his son. And I think th- what you shared about David saying, um, or the verse you shared about David saying, "I can only go to you." Um, I think gave me a perspective about all of this in just a, a different way. I would say um, I think God has a plan for everyone. But I think knowing that beyond my understanding, there's also plans for for 
for people. And I think it just made me start to process. And I think I'm still in that revelation of, wow, that's a pretty big thought um, that you shared about that. And so um, I think I'm still diving into that piece, but that's the one that stood out to Mm -hmm. me. And if you weren't watching, Clayton's talking about this story from 2 Samuel 12, where David lost a child and then he washes his face and worships the Lord and gives all of his servants a prophecy that um, he can't go to, the baby won't ever come to him again, but he'll go to the baby. And he's obviously, he's talking about heaven. And that was a very profound moment for people to realize that life, even in the, uh, with a child is so profound that uh, the, those children are in heaven. I think a lot of people really resonate with that. Um, Sherry, being a resident Bible scholar on staff, I always think about Sherry and, and when I'm preaching, I'm like, I wonder what Sherry thinks about this. Storm, you as well. For you, like, uh, is there anything that for you that was missing or that you felt like, man, I, I feel like this could be a stronger approach or, or uh, anything that you might felt endorsed a behavior that is opposite against um, the word of God? Yeah, I think, well, I first do want to say that I think, I mean, you did such a phenomenal job of, um, first off, your testimony is so powerful um, and getting to share about uh, scripturally how God feels about every human life, right? I think you did such a great job in Psalm 139 being knit in the womb. And so there's such great, um, just evidence that would suggest like God has a plan, just like you're saying, for every single person. Um, So that was what really, and I think, actually we'll get to that next question, but to answer this question. So um, I think for me, there, one thing was concerning also the scriptures with 2 Samuel. Um, I think sometimes I always want to tread really lightly with, when we're saying, hey, now God, it says that God did something with the child, right? And then the child no longer lived. So I think it was, for me, it was a little bit nuanced of, hey, maybe there's something more. God may not want every child. I don't know. And it kind of left it a little bit open. But I think it's, for me, um, I, I, wanna, I like to make really big distinctions. Hey, if God is doing something, that's very different than man making a decision and doing something. And so in any of the scriptures, if God's doing something, God has given us access to the Father. Uh, we have access to Jesus. He's our friend and we have intimacy with Him, but still yet to know that I'm not God. So if God's doing something, He is completely right and just and fair and sees it all. And He is all that is good. So I might think something is right, just and fair and good, but me as man making a decision is not on the same uh, playing field and level um, as what God is. So for me, I think that was just a distinction I probably would have um, just wanted to, to probably see. Yeah, and the text messages, somebody shared that feedback as well. They said that David really wanted the child to live. And right, that We have to right. be careful that we don't like try to make choices like we understand what God would do. I think for me, I was more trying to bring up this theological narrative that under every circumstance, no matter what, the Bible is clear that that, 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 that should happen. And I have not found the Bible to be clear. And so I was actually okay with leaving certain open and and, and seeking God for myself because I've just kind of on the same end don't want to say like, I got this complete revelation. This is da, 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 and it's complete and even the Bible would say that prophecy is given in part. And so I, I was more trying to reflect that, hey, this is the part that I'm wrestling with and more wrestling in front of people. And I think pastors don't preach messages they wrestle with. This the ones that they're like, for sure. you know. And so that's, 
but I got that feedback and I accept that. And if it was a 1 p.m., I would have shared that. <laughs> no. But there wasn't there wasn't a storm. What what do you what do you think? What how would you answer that question? Um, well, first I would say that this is a very uncomfortable topic. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the most uncomfortable chair. Yeah. So I'm doubly uncomfortable right now. And I'm not <laughs> um, and, uh, somebody's fired. Sorry about that. So that's great. So let me let me um, you know, since since you've been my pastor, one of the things that I've appreciated the most with you is is your vulnerability, your testimony. Um, you've been quick to say you're wrong. You've been quick to revisit things. Uh, I thought I thought I felt that the most powerful thing you could have said is that this is what I went through, and I believe that life begins here. To Sherry's point, I thought, I thought the conversation was a little too nuanced. It left a lot of gray area for a lot of people feeling like the word is an anchor, you know. And to me, I felt like I was in the waves. Um, and so I, I, it, for, for me, it really, and I shared this with you, like I, I was very disheartened um, be, because of that, because I thought there was too much left up to quote unquote the reader, and it felt very, it felt it felt very diplomatic. Which the we're, we're in need of pastors and not politicians, and this is to me life isn't political, right? It's spiritual. And one of the scriptures that you referenced was Jeremiah one five, and you you referenced it as a private. Me- this is God saying something. And so when I went back to that scripture and I, and I read it, um, I felt like what God revealed to me was that he, sa- he says to Jeremiah, he says, uh, before you were in the womb, I knew you. So God identifies us before we are flesh. He identifies us as spirit. So the moment we are spirit, we are life. And, and then the second half of that, he says, the second half of that, he says, before you were born, I consecrated you a prophet to the nations. That means destiny is given to us within the womb. And so, you know, for me, knowing that there's so much manipulation in culture and there's a manipulation of definitions and terms, I was just hoping for more strength and clarity of that in a time that it's easy to get caught in headlines it's easy to get caught in emotion and people yelling. And so for me, knowing, knowing your history, knowing your story of around the board, and, and, you know, I didn't, I know my wife will be okay with this, but, um, she, you know. My, my wife had an abortion when she was 18. There, isn't, there, was not, there was nothing dignified of it. They walked her in. They didn't tell her about what was inside of her. After the abortion, she didn't know where she was, and they walked her out in the back door. And there was nothing dignified about it. So, like, that narrative of, like, women empowerment and dignity for you, you've, you've experienced how big of a deception that that was, particularly for your wife. And I, I, I respect your perspective on it, and I think that... The reason why I shared Acts 15 before this conversation was because that's what exactly what happened in that passage of Scripture is that Paul was called to 
the the Gentiles and other people were called the different people, and they didn't agree with Paul's approach, mm-hmm. and they had to talk about it, mm-hmm. and that's why. You know, I called you on uh, Sunday after the message, and I care about what you think, and mm-hmm. you shared that with me. And I said, will you please share that? Because somebody's probably clenching their butt cheeks in their chair, and they're like, ooh, 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 like, did he just say that? Yeah, he did. Like, that's what we should do. And so I asked him to share that because that's how he felt. And it helped me grow as a leader. And... I think the 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 nuance for me has to do with my gifting, that I'm a pastor and I'm trying to meet someone where they are in hopes that we get there. And I think one of my biggest things that I'm just battling is like this, the, the shadow of my pastoral gift is like I meet people too deep in it mm-hmm. sometimes. And then I meet them so deep in it that neither one of us ever get out. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, I'm learning not to do that. And so one of the things that helps me not do that is great perspectives and, and, and not always being surrounded by someone who says, man, that was awesome. You're a great leader. But it, people are like, hey, like, I feel like you left that open or this and that. And so I really appreciate that, that feedback. And I hope that um, you're listening as well and, and hearing what, what Storm has to say and, and because it's, it's true. And I think that if we can continue to have these more com- uh, these conversations – um, because some our temptation is when someone speaks truth, they get called religious. And Jesus said something interesting to the most religious Pharisees. He said, listen to everything they tell you, but don't be like them. So whenever you see like they're being hypocritical, we see people being hypocritical on the internet, doesn't mean they're wrong. Because Jesus said, listen to everything they tell you, but don't be like them. And so taking in truth uh, needs to be some uh, the highest goal really for the church, especially if you're safe. So I, I appreciate you, Storm. No, I appreciate you just listening. So thank you. All right, Deshaun, one of the reasons I asked you to come is your story is just like incredible. I know that you, um, uh, Roe versus Wade, you know, some years ago really affected you because I, I know that you've had to, um, it affects obviously a lot of people, but um, your, your specific story and being a single mother, um, what was your reaction to um, Roe versus Wade being overturned and what gave you the resilience to every single time that you had, like, were pregnant in a not-so-favorable circumstance to go, hey, like, I'm, like, I'm going to do this? And just share maybe your story or response to that a little bit. Uh, well, first, I'd like to make mention that that is not the case. So I have had more than one abortion. Um, that So there isn't a resiliency about me that says, I got pregnant and I'm going to bring children into this world. And um, Storm, thank you so much for sharing about you and your wife. Um, and you're right, abortion is not dignified. There is nothing glamorous about it. There is nothing savorable about it. Um, but at the same time, uh, when I first heard of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, my first initial thought was like, oh, that sucks. But in my mind, that doesn't alter what God has called me to do, and that's my focus. Um, when I started to see how Christians responded, that broke my heart. Mm. Um, and the reason why it broke my heart Can is— Can you elaborate on the, the Christian response that broke your heart? The, the, the celebration of this and the comments of it's about time and that we've won, and somehow this is a victory for the body of Christ— 
Um, and that broke my heart, um, uh, primarily because um, what we did in that moment, you know, it's like, man, we, what sets us apart in Christianity is that we are not a religion, it's about relationship. And in that moment, what we did is we just stripped relationship from, from people. Um, and I, for me personally, um, my journey of revelation when it comes to abortion is something that happened in relationship with Jesus. It had nothing to do with legalities. It had nothing to do with Christian principles or beliefs. In actuality, my first abortion was at the age of 14, and it happened after being um, in a uh, uh, sexually molested relationship. Um, and, and not knowing, and, and I started following Jesus in my 30s. So having no context of the Lord, having no context of um, life and creation and all of that, those things, um, that was my first experience. And then at 19, I got pregnant um, and was a part of a church. That was the first time I had ever been a part of a church. And the response to me getting pregnant was worse than the response to those who had abortions. There were three other young women in the church who got pregnant around the same time, and all three of them had abortions. And I chose to keep the baby. Um, and I was sat down. I was not allowed to serve in any capacity. I was made to stand up in front of the entire congregation and announce my sin to the congregation. And all of these other women, there were no consequences whatsoever. So that framed my thinking to believe that abortion is more than having children outside of marriage. So then when I got pregnant again, there was no way I was ever going through that level of shame again. And, and I knew I was going to be left alone to care for another child. It wasn't a decision. It wasn't, it wasn't even a hard decision, knowing that the abortion that haven't there, there's nothing dignified about it. It strips a part of your soul. Every time I walked out of that abortion clinic, a part of my soul had been stripped from me. Um, and knowing that it was still, it wasn't a simple decision that I made. It was the, the only choice in front of me because the other options just weren't feasible if I ever wanted to make it out of what I was in at the time. That is profoundly powerful. And I think when I initially asked the question, I was thinking more along the lines, like, how did you get, because I know your, your story and I didn't want to, you know, share your story for you, but you got to the place now where you're married with wonderful children, wonderful family. But I think, I really relate to that. I think, you know, where my nuance came from, even in my sermon, was when Christina was pregnant with Bailey, um, we did not have health insurance. Like, so I called a uh, Christian insurance company that um, supported pro-life politicians. And I said, babe, don't, don't, don't worry. I got it. There's this Christian insurance company. They've sort of, uh, you know, supported a bunch of pro-life politicians. I'll just call them. We're fine. So I called them and they told me that they wouldn't insure Christina because Christina had a pre-existing condition. And I remember yelling them on the phone, like, Oh, now it's a pre-existing condition? I thought it was life. And they didn't give us health insurance. And we had to believe God for four months. And my wife did not go to the doctor with Bailey for four straight months. And I think from that point on, I decided that I couldn't align myself with hypocrisy in the same way I couldn't align myself with. And so that's where my personal nuance even came from. I feel that. And so then now, to your point, what I, what I really hear you saying, what I love about what you're saying, is there is nothing that is dignified about going through that experience. Why do you guys think that we never hear 
those types of stories when it comes to the subject matter from like media and culture. I mean, I can Google abortion and other than like, of, you know, maybe a Christian network, you would never hear what Deshaun just shared about the humiliating, undignified experience of walking in the front door pregnant and walking out the back door not. Like, why do you, you know, think that is? And obviously I'm asking a man first, so it's like, I don't, uh, but I'm just saying, like, I want to hear what you have to say. Like, why do you think that that's so shielded from from culture or from us, from culture? I think it it depends on what you consume. And I think a lot of us consume, we get our consumption and our information from our selected news source. And depending on what that is determines your perspective. Um, I am one, I'm not too, uh, I don't spend a lot of time on any news source and most of my news comes from my friends. Um, and that is intentional and it's not to, um, live in a way that I don't know what's going on because I very much do. But I think the reason you knew Deshaun's story is because you've had a meal with her. And I think to say, why haven't we heard that? I, I mean, I have. And I, I say, I think it's just, it goes back to our, what are we doing to try and have conversations and meals with people that not just disagree, because disagreement will come. It's when there is uh, separation, when there is um, uh, a degree of separation within the church. That's what is is the problem. Mm. And I think like, it's not about us being up here because we disagree. We are all talking because we know that division is occurring. Mm. And division is why conversation is so important, not necessarily disagreement. That's great. So um, I don't know if I really answered your question, but there's a thought. You did great. You great. did great. Sherry, what would you say? Like, I, I, I just think that a lot of those stories don't make it to be 100%. public. 100%. You know, I was even Googling just, hey, unplanned pregnancy. Like, what do I do? Options. Everything comes up as abortion. It was so hard to read through all the fine prints of, hey, what are the other options of uh, a pregnancy care center that could help me and fund me and adoption? It was abortion. And it was when I started to look into it, it was saying the same thing like, hey, no questions asked. This is your privacy. Um, they, but they don't give information. And the more I was reading into it on other things, there's just nothing ever sold. But media and and we've just sold this, not we, they they have sold this false reality of what success is, of what the purpose is, and um, of, of what empowerment is. And it's about if I can make decisions over my body and this is what the truest empowerment is and having my own authority. And, and, and hey, guess what? Children are no longer a blessing or a gift. It's not an amazing miracle that a woman a person can have in it life that creates a whole other person, adult, and right, generations right. go on. It's it's more about, um, hey, your success. Hey, children are now a problem. You, it's all about you, and it's all about self, and it's about how you can um, succeed and get further in your job, right? But now children are the issue, and we can't afford it. So, hey, guys, what's the easiest, best option? And they've sold to us abortion. They haven't sold to us anything else. I would agree with that. And I think that that's why I think the church needs to take this subject back. Yeah. Because when the culture deals with it and politics deal with it, that's why I personally was was agreed with Deshaun about the Roe versus Wade and the celebration of it. Because once the solving of it goes to the Supreme Court and, and we give it to them to figure out and the church doesn't figure it out and pastor people, 
then I would put an AR-15 at, in the same level as, as Planned Parenthood. Both of them have got, done great damage to child's lives, and we don't want one and we want the other. And so for me, I'm like, I put that in the same category. And so I think that the church needs to take it back, start having same discussions, because I would understand why a person would find hypocrisy in that if this thing over here harms children and we don't want to do anything about it. And that's what I see throughout the internet. And so that's why I think if we take the conversation back and we actually be bold enough to have conversations and go, hey, I don't know if I agree with that or I don't know, that at least we can raise up a young generation who knows Jesus that understands what God has to say about this. Yeah, I I think I'd also want to say, again, coming from a, a different side too, I don't think that law is bad, right? Laws are a necessary thing that we have in a biblical perspective of looking at the law is, um, how do I love my neighbor better? That's what laws should be. That's the biblical perspective of how I do that. And so now um, a law that comes in doesn't, because something's legal doesn't make it right or wrong, right? But now we, especially as believers in Christ, but we all have to have moral reasoning and understanding. Is this law moral, right? We all know that just because racial segregation was a law, we're like, there's something morally wrong with that, right? So we have to be able to do that. And, and I think that it's okay to say that something, hey, that's still morally good, but at the same time knowing that's not solving the problem. But I, you know, I think in other things like the law of, of slavery, right? Um, would we not want to abolish slavery if we still said, hey, slavery is actually still going to go on. That's not yes, going to solve the problem. Correct. We'd say, no, yes. that's still a morally wrong thing. But guess what? The laws, they don't change the heart from the inside out, right? There's so much more work for the church to do. I think I'd also be remiss if we actually didn't talk about, which is really quick, the history of the church concerning this very thing too. Since the beginning of the church, the church has actually always had this on the heart. Roman government, it was legal. If you didn't like the sex of your child that came out, the gender, if it had disability, if it was sick, um, if you were poor and you just couldn't afford it, you could take it to a valley, you could take it to a cave, drop it off. That was a fine thing to do. The church got so overwhelmed with conviction because the church holistically throughout history has always said there's something wrong about leaving a life like that. There's something good that God has done in this. They would go and take the children in and raise them up now. They would adopt them. This has happened throughout history. Medieval times, they came up with the foundling wheels. People could go in, put their child in this wheel, ring a bell, and then they would take him in. So much so that actually, to even a point for you, uh, the laws changed. Reverse said, hey, no longer can you actually throw out your children. You're actually, you have to take them to the doorstep of the church, mm. right? So the things that the church has gone involved with. But I think even today, and hear me out, the church, we have so much more work to do. And this is what has broken my heart when I heard about Roe v. Wade. While I think that this is, yes, a good and moral thing that needs to happen, I was so grieved in my soul at the people that are hurting who have been sold that this is the best option for my life, for me to have a good life. And, and there's so much work. There's so much work for the church to do right now. But but the, the church has also done so much good. The, the All the pregnancy care centers, the vast majority are all faith-based. They're all Christians who are coming and saying they're all funded uh, by by uh, private donors. Hey, we will pay for everything. We will be here. You have healthcare and all of this through it, right? These pregnancy care centers. But that's not what's sold to you when I say I'm in crisis, I have a I problem, that, and I'm pregnant. But I want to stop you because I get that. But what's important is that when our government, and this is what I experienced, is the government doesn't have a history of getting moral laws correct. And so I think it creates a distrust to say, oh, this law's moral, but women can't vote was also moral. But it took hundreds of years. So I think, and I want to hear what Storm, but I, so I think that 
the distrust, because I know that I feel that, is that uh, there's we didn't get it right a lot. And so over the history, I think what people are saying is, but who gets to decide what's moral? And the things that I hear from people are saying, it's typically the older, white, affluent person who decides what's moral for everyone else. And I think that people getting a seat at the table saying, this is how this affects me, uh, isn't happening. And I know that I have been a byproduct of certain laws where, you know, this type of drug that black people use has a certain longer, you know, prison sentence than the one that white people use. And these are facts. So I think when people, uh, in order for someone to make a moral law, a moral person has to make the moral law. So I think that what people are sensing is the immorality in government that we see everywhere. Now they're immoral people cannot make a moral law because in order for a law to be moral, the motive has to be moral, not just the law. I, I, Hold on, because okay. I want to make sure we get to other okay, people. Okay, okay. But what do you think about that statement, Deshaun? Um, it's so funny because one of the things, I love what, what, what Sherry said about moral laws. Um, and one of the things in your message that really convicted me, and I was like, oh, because... I mean, I, I grew up, born and raised in California, found Jesus in my 30s. I don't know how to be anything other than a native-born liberal. It's just who I am. I don't do politics at all. <laughs> However, if you ask me a lot of the questions, hey, I believe we should give everybody money. Like, let's do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's just where I, where I stand. So it's easy for me to... Um, look at laws that are made and be like, oh, that's terrible. That's awful. Mm. But when you were talking about the law and the law being good, but it producing sin, that was the that was the conflict that was in me. Where it was like, man, I know there's something wrong with this, but I also know there's something not wrong with it. And so mm. um, recognizing like that that the for many believers, I won't say for the government. I, I really don't believe the government cares about whether or not we kill babies or not. Um, this is all political strategy and fine, whatever. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't believe that they care. However, I do believe that many um, believers who are who are like, this is amazing. The heart really is sincere in that this is a like this saves lives. I would totally agree. With that. And so it is. The, the intent and the heart is there. I would say to that, um, one of the other things that was brought up was uh, pregnancy care centers. Um, I have often had people in their argument against uh, where I stand talk about, well, there's so many resources out there. Women who have abortions are just lazy. That's what, that's what someone told me. Um, the reality is, as a, as, as a woman, a teenager who was pregnant, um, a single mom for 20 years, the number of resources that are actually available to the amount of women that are out there are scarce because the amount of Christians who are actually doing the work is scarce. And so— It is mostly Christians, but there ain't it, a lot. It's not a lot. Yes, Yeah. Yes. And so to say, oh, the alternative is X, Y, and Z, well, is the alternative accessible? And I will tell you, the alternative is not accessible to everyone. If you don't have the education, the mm. ability to um, uh, defend yourself or stand up for yourself, uh, if you don't have um, the ability to speak proper English or um, communicate well, then your access to these resources are even less. And so now you're out there struggling. And then we talk about adoption. Well, out of all of the children that are adopted, 23% are African-American children. African-American children are not, they're not the top choice in adoption. And so 
you're asking an entire people group to think about another option when the options aren't there. And so it's it's like, oh man, well, what, what are the options? Well, there aren't any because the option then is for your child to go into foster care. And that's a whole nother conversation where if, the, if, like if the church really wanted to do something, they could do, we could eradicate as the body of Christ, we could eradicate foster care a within a month. Yeah. There are 440,000 children in foster care. There are 300,000 churches in America. Mm-hmm. If two people in every church in America decided to become a foster parent and take in children, we would eradicate the foster care system. But we're not. And so to to address the issue as in there are, well, here are the solutions. The solutions aren't accessible. And so what can we do to make the solutions accessible? And I I would say, and Storm, I want you to speak to this. I I believe that the, 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 my opinion would be the highest moral law that we could have is to mandate that. Because if you were to say to every voter, hey, if you vote this way, then without choice, we get to drop a child off at your home, any color, any age, then that would change. Because then these 400,000 people would immediately go into foster care. And I think for, for, for you, Storm, I want to ask you this question. One of the reasons why I so respect your convictions about life is that I've watched you give your life to serve. You are the opposite of what Deshaun is talking about. You and your wife have a nonprofit that is exclusively uh, to 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 underprivileged children, I would say, and and we have obviously recently given money to that nonprofit. And I've watched you engage in schools and 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 school districts cancel your contracts, and you have to do stuff for free. And I've watched you be pro life, not just in the womb, which is why I wanted to give you a voice, but well after people have abandoned these children. So for you, um. What can the church learn from somebody like you who who has that conviction that life begins in the womb, but also follows through with that conviction uh, with young teenagers and and underprivileged kids? Well, I, you know, I I believe action, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the word will be void if there is not action that's followed. Mm. You know, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To get to truth, we have to, we have, there's something that we have to endure. There's something that we have to follow. There's follow through mm. before we can even get to truth. Mm. And, 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 and when we take a path, if, if we really stand for truth, we have to understand that there's a path that must be walked. There's a path that we must take that will probably take us through places that we're, maybe we don't look like other people. Maybe we're unfamiliar with uh, and, uh, and, 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 and that's, how, that's how we get to a place of truth. That's how we get to a place of uh, being pro-life because he says, I am the life. Jesus was pro-life because everything he did was to undo what the devil did. The devil convinced, convinced, um, convinced Eve. He said, uh, the first thing he said was, um, uh, you will surely not die. That's the first thing he said. The second thing is he said, you will be like God. That, that we, we, have, we, are, we are living now in a time that the devil is still manipulating the truth because obviously Eve's decision led to death. It, it, it led to death. It didn't lead to life. It was Christ coming back, Christ self-sacrificing himself, putting himself on the altar that led to us ultimately receiving life. But today we are convincing an entire generation of people that 
life in the womb doesn't have any value because you don't have any value. You know, I'm pro-life from, I am, I'm, I'm pro-life, <laughs> but there's that. so many kids that don't even believe in their life. One of my students, and, I, and I'll end it with this. One of my students said to me, I'm pro-abortion because I had shared that, you know, I, I thought abortion was wrong. Okay. And he's like, he said, he said, I'm pro-abortion because I believe my mother should have aborted me. Jesus. And so in that moment, if I wouldn't have been there, I couldn't have told him, I said, you know, that's a bunch of garbage, man. Mm. I said, I love you so much. I know your father's not around. You don't have a relationship with him and you ain't, you ain't getting that same love from your mother. Mm-hmm. I said, you're so valuable. I said, you're so charismatic. Mm-hmm. You have such a smile. Mm-hmm. People love being around you. God, God gives us opportunity and we're so caught up in choice. It's like, well, do we even see the opportunity or we do we only see, I just have this one choice. No, life is made up of choices because God has always given us opportunity, mm-hmm. but we don't seize on that moment to take that opportunity as a church. And I think I want to see us in the streets. Mm-hmm. I want to see us in the streets protesting. I want us to be the loudest voices mm-hmm. in the message of who God is, who Christ is. He is the heart. He is the love. And the, and, and the streets are void of love right now. Because we, we, we stay under a roof. You know, I think that, you know, hearing where you get your conviction from is powerful. And it's one of the reasons why I asked you to be on the panel was because, like, your conviction isn't coming from a news station. It's coming from the Spirit of God. And you can share stories of kids you have talked to that feel like their life doesn't matter. And that is something that I feel like I hope that our church receives and I want to close on this thought because we are over time but like what um what we need more than anything is like I shared in Acts 15 is to unify around um to just really make division uh, like a non-negotiable we we cannot or unity a non-negotiable and we have to be able to have conversations like this and I want to challenge every single person call up somebody that you know is a friend and you ignore their post when they post something that doesn't and have a conversation. Get at the dinner table with someone. Have conversations about life. Have conversations about different perspectives. And open up the word and, and try to come to unity around who Jesus is and around the word. And be committed to have more than one conversation. I think so many times we try to get into like uh, some type of resolve within like um, you know five minutes or less. But I think that if we can commit that, hey, we're the church, we're the body, we got to have unity. Um, keep having it and have it at the dinner table, not on Instagram. It's helpful. Have it in, in coffee shops. And, um, you know, Clayton, I want to ask you to, to just uh, 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 maybe just share a quick word on, on, on unity and, and just pray for believers to have conversations and to be unified. Great. Love throwing me in the fire, Julian. I appreciate that. Um, I think unity obviously is very important. Um, and I think a lot of times when we, we think about unity, it's, it's trying to find agreement and that's not necessarily unity. Mm-hmm. Unity starts with understanding. And as Christians, um, your first approach has to be when there is division is, is understanding the other side. Um, if you can't start with having that desire of, I need to understand you then we're missing it. And I think we need to have 
just as much passion for the cross as some of us have for the law. And once you realize that everything was about love with Jesus, and I'm not saying you you don't get to the truth, but it has to start with loving your neighbor and truly understanding them and have a heart for asking those questions, not let me listen so I can tell you, let me listen to understand you. And from there, that's when you can have great relationships with any viewpoint. And it's not a viewpoint that now keeps you away from a person. You might just be you don't like them anymore, but it's not the viewpoint. Um, but that is why unity is so important is it has to start with love. And it has to start with you truly looking at somebody, praying about them, thinking about them and realizing, yeah, we have differences, but I got to get to understand you. That is the innate desire. That is what it is all about is that relationship, that community. Um, and that is the thing we should should also fight for the most is, is unity. So, hey, uh, Sherry, you said something um, downstairs that was powerful about the body. Can you quickly share what it is you were talking about the body and unity and about not being divided? Yeah, well, with the body of Christ, we've, for centuries, there's always been divisions in the church because everyone has their own thoughts and opinions on things. But um, there's something that makes us as the body of Christ, the church, so innately different um, than the rest of the world. And that's the spirit of the living God who lives on the inside of us. And so Jesus is the one who has leveled out the playing field for all of us. It was not my political beliefs. It was not uh, my thought on anything else other than my belief in I needed a Savior and what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me that brought me to this playing field where I have access now to the Father in heaven, that Clayton has access. It wasn't his political belief on anything except belief in Jesus Christ. And so this belief is what brings us all to God. So there there is nothing higher. There is no other opinion that could trump who we are in Christ and who is the one who unites us all together. And this is the power of the gospel. And this is what's been the power of the gospel for the world to come to Jesus is when all of us having different thoughts and different ways on how Roe v. Wade, for instance, could go. But yet what brings us down to the table and at the end of the day, Deshaun and I have such an immense love for each other, our brother and sisterhood, because that's what takes us into eternity, that we can still sit down at the table when the culture and the world tells us, actually, you should be at odds with them because they so vote good. differently than yeah. you. And this just stood, they're magnets that don't attract to each other. And so this is what the power of the gospel is like. How are you guys sitting down together? How are you guys best friends? You know who they voted for. You know what they feel about that. But that's the power of the gospel. Oh, because Jesus Christ, this, this is nothing. It's we, Jesus Christ. we need to come and to have unity. And the Bible is very clear. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. The way you and love each other. that's got to be the highest goal. Yep. And so, uh, Clayton, can you pray? And uh, I'm really excited to do this like in person. I know we're filming this, but this was incredible. And so grateful for each and every one of you. But uh, Father, thank you for, uh, for the love that you displayed for us. Um, thank you for... Uh, going after that cross and I pray that we are inspired to carry ours and that we can have unity at the forefront we can have brotherhood sisterhood at the forefront and it not be about our own opinion but really loving our neighbor and so we thank you for uh, every viewer that is watching right now and we pray even over them as you bring people to their hearts and to their mind of people that they can just reach out to that maybe there could have been a fence, maybe there could have been a, a wrong conversation or a thought that this can 
inspire them to have a conversation and um, whatever prevents them from getting to that table, Lord, um, move it out of the way and, and let that relationship grow. Thank you, God, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 And church, the best way I believe, I've always believed this, that we can um, really partner with um, the lives that God has a purpose and plan for us through our generosity. And so I want to just thank you so much for your giving. 90% of our giving actually goes to mothers and, and, and children in, in need all the way up through their teenage years. And uh, we still plan on partnering with Outcast Academy this year and other organizations that really put their service behind their theology. And so that's really the heart of our church is that we would continue to not just talk about it, but as the homies used to say in the hood, to be about it. You like how I did that there? And so thank you guys so much for watching. We love you so much and we'll see you soon.